Hey, it's Jackie, and welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged Podcast 2023. I decided I'd kick off the new year talking about friendships, partly because I noticed the theme around friendship coming up everywhere. I tend to look for themes. I, I'll say to Jesus, like, hey, can you show me what you want to talk to me about? And then I start to kind of listen and look for what kind of themes pop up from all different kinds of places. And then I'm like, aha, that's what Jesus wants me to pay attention to. And again, one of those themes I kept seeing pop up all over the place was this concept of friendship. For a variety of reasons, many of us find ourselves having to rebuild our social circles friends. And this episode is about what we do when we find ourselves in these relational transitions. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, welcome back. Like I said, themes, they're popping up everywhere about rebuilding our social circles. I think you've probably read all the articles that I have, right? That we're coming out of this pandemic with a loneliness hangover. By the way, Americans have become lonelier and lonely over the past several decades. So like in 1985, 59% of people said that they had at least three friends. By 2004, that dropped to 37%, which means that in 2004, one out of four people were walking around with no one to share their lives with. And if that was the case in 2004, what do you think we're experiencing in 2023? Yeah, loneliness hangover. And surely you have been listening to all the debate and discussions about whether or not we're going back to the office. And if we don't, how are we ever going to establish corporate culture? You know, this relationships that happen in the office. And by the way, our churches are asking the same thing because people aren't coming back. And I've asked some women I know, why? Why aren't you going back? And they said that during the pandemic, they pulled up their chairs in the front yard and hung out with their neighbors. And they discovered those relationships felt more real than the ones they kept trying to make at church. The women shared how they felt like they'd been a bit bamboozled because they, brought, they, they were bought into this idea that the church is about finding community, and yet there it was right out their front door. And I'm going to post an article about that very concept. And if you're interested in reading it, you can go to the Jackie Always Unplugged Facebook group and dive in and, and talk to us about what you think about it. So there's all of those themes popping up, and then there's people I know who are sharing with me how they're lonely. Something in their social circles has shifted, and they aren't sure what or how, and they're frustrated, right? They, they're, they're finding themselves having to start over again relationally. Surely you have experienced that too, right? 
found yourself in a situation where your social circles have changed for some reason. And there you are having to start all over again. And I don't know about you, but somehow, somewhere along the way, I kind of picked up that it wouldn't be that way. I thought that you have lifelong friends that you do life with forever and ever and ever. Not so much. It turns out I've had to rebuild my social circles several times. And I suspect I'm not done because I watched my mom in her 60s. She and my dad got divorced and she had to start a whole new circle of friends. I'm watching my in-laws who are in their 80s and they're struggling because their friends have all died. And they just don't have it in them to rebuild a new circle of friends. Yeah, we're tired. And rebuilding friendships take energy. In fact, one study suggests it takes about 200 hours over four months to build a close friendship. 200 hours for a close friendship and up to 60 hours to establish a casual relationship. I know. (laughs) I can hear you sigh. It's fatiguing to even think about it, isn't it? And yet, we almost don't have a choice because we were made to be social. It's primal. We read about that in scripture in Genesis 1 and 2. There we see that God exists in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this relational God creates humans in his image. And one of the ways we image him is by being social. Our church father, St. Augustine, he acknowledged that humans were social. Best-selling author and sociologist, Brene Brown, identified it. And guess what? Science confirms it. We have been created with an inherent desire to belong, to be known, and to know others. Did you know that a baby comes out of the womb looking for someone who's looking for her? Her facial movements, mouths, eyes, they're all designed to get someone to pay attention to her. Michael Lieberman, in his book, Social, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Connect, a great book, by the way, says that our brain's free time is devoted to thinking socially. In other words, when it's not being occupied with work, the default mode of our brain is to think about our social lives. He goes on to say that our brains respond to affirmation from loved ones in the same way that it responds to eating sweets. In fact, some studies say, and listen to this, They suggest that our brains crave positive evaluations of others almost to an embarrassing degree, which begs me to ask the question, why do we hold back? Why do we hold back verbal affirmation for our loved ones? Proverbs 16.24 says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says that we're to encourage one another, to build one another up. So why aren't we? Why aren't we gushing verbal verbal goodness on our people? Eh, I digress. Lieberman also goes on to say that when we are socially rejected, our brains respond the same as if we had been just experienced physical pain. Think about that. In fact, doctors are starting to say when you have social pain from being rejected, take an aspirin, right? Not being chosen is painful. Can we just admit that? And I'm not talking just about a job or even a partner. Not being chosen as a friend is painful. We want to be wanted, to be chosen. It's primal. And we know that having friendships make us healthier. 
Having a poor social network is literally as bad for your health as smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. I mean, and we have been doing all this reading, right, about mental health issues caused from the isolation over the past several years during the pandemic. Social connection, social support, it actually buffers us against stress. I take that to mean what the Bible means when it says we're to carry one another's burdens. It means we're to take on another person's stress so that we can all get across that finish line and win the prize, as the Apostle Paul says. And so we know now that when you share something with me that's stressful or painful, my body actually takes on some of your stress and your pain, and vice versa. The scriptures tell us these kinds of things that science is proving, like Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says something very similar to all of this brain science. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can each help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can make, keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And that takes me back to my last podcast of 2022, when I talked about the power of presence, you know, because it was during Christmas, God with us, Emmanuel, and that we too, as his image bearers, have this godlike opportunity to be present with others. And if you haven't heard that podcast, I'd really encourage you to go back, ponder some of this concept about being present. What does it mean to be with people? It's interesting. Even though we need friends and we need intimacy, studies are showing that even a loose network of casual acquaintances, even brief encounters with strangers can raise our level of happiness. The thing I love about everything I just said is that science and scripture seem to speak to one another. And some of us have been taught that science can't be trusted or vice versa, like faith is fake. But what if they actually speak to and for one another? Because what I see is that science is proving what God has communicated in scripture, starting with Genesis 1 and 2. Humans, you and I, are made to be social, to be known, and to be known to know others. That's why this relational shift that happens to so many of us, this relational transitions that we have, they're painful. And so I decided to call my friend and colleague and talk to her about this. Carolyn Grant is a personal and corporate coach who equips individuals and teams with the language and tools they need to move successfully through the stages of change, including, including relational change. So welcome, Carolyn. I'm so thankful to have you on this episode. Thanks, Jackie. Um, so I, I, I want our listeners to know, like, how did you get into this work of helping people navigate through transitions? Yeah, I mean, let me start by saying that life experience counts for a lot. Um, my husband and I have moved countries twice, from South Africa to England, and then England to America. Um, and we're here now in Austin with our three daughters. 
So that's been a lot of change in two decades. But what I wish I'd known sooner is that change is not the same as transition. You see, change is what happens externally. That was the relocation, the new culture to adjust to driving on the opposite side of the road. Um, but the transition is what's going on internally as we make sense of the losses and grapple with a new season of uncertainty. And so it was actually my own personal journey that I embarked on to try and understand my experience that led me to several books. Um, none as helpful as William Bridges' Transitions and David Pollock's work with Third Culture Kids. But what happened is I found a language for the transition, transition process and tools to walk through it. And I no longer felt alone. So when that happens, I feel like I've learned something and I need to pass it on. And soon I could see that um, transition was everywhere I looked. You know, it was a mum with a new baby, a friend who had lost a spouse, um, other expats, moms like myself, who were feeling the same way as I did. And before I knew it, I was running groups to help people through all sorts of transitions. And actually have just recently reached out to, corp- to the corporate world because companies are wrestling with change too, especially after the pandemic. Yeah, so that's interesting. This is why I wanted to talk with you because I have sensed, and and earlier I said there are these themes popping up, and I sense that our culture, our whole culture is in this relational transition, and so are a whole lot of us individually. Um, There's a word Mm -hmm. called liminality that really speaks to this. Liminality is this space where what was isn't, and what will be hasn't come yet. And liminality, when we find ourselves there, it's a very unnerving space to be in. And transitions are also very internally unsettling. And so are you, that's why I thought, okay, Carolyn, are you seeing that out there? Are you seeing it in your work, your own personal life at this period in time in history? Absolutely, Jackie. Like I said, you know, when I'd I'd seen it before, everywhere I looked, I haven't seen it as much as I am now, honestly, with um, clients that I'm seeing in my own life, with friendships. And it's just something I feel like we need to talk about. So when you called me up, I was so excited. Um, (laughs) And honestly, (laughs) what I do is I I try and look at transition as a bridge. And that's what I do with my clients. And, And there's You know, you're on one side on land and you know you want to get to the other side on land again. And there's these these phases, though, that you have to go through to get to the other side. And that's something I think even just to give us language to start with today is just, you know, you have the first stage when you're on land, you know, imagine a bridge, you're settled. You know who you are, you know what your roles and responsibilities are. And you're trying to make your way to the other side where you feel settled and whether it's relationships or in something new again. But on the way, there's these three other phases that you have to go through. Um, And the first one, once the change happens, is this feeling of being unsettled. And that's that that feeling that you're talking about in liminality. It's like, wow, something has changed and I need to know what's going on. Why am I feeling this way? What what is coming to an end that I need to get my head around? Um, And once we've gone through this phase, you know, you can have a feeling of rejection or resentment or your, your security is challenged. But the next step on the bridge is labeled chaos. And this, I always have this little word picture in my head of this complete chaos bubble because 
this is where we find ourselves. We don't really know what's going on, but we know something has changed. Something's and we up. Can, it can be a real, yeah, something's up. We can feel anxious. We can feel depressed. We can feel disappointed that things aren't the way they were. And we're grieving all sorts of things um, and don't really know what we want next. Um, but the next phase on the bridge, as we're getting closer to the other side where we know we can have a sense of security again and we will have friendships again or we will have, you know, something new again, is the resettling phase. And I'm actually seeing a lot of this right now where, you know, the pandemic's come and gone. And I know we're not only talking about that, but we're in this phase where we know things have changed. We've been through all those uncomfortable feelings. But now it's the energy that it requires in this resetting phase to make that next step into new friendships, into a new way of being. So that's, if I can put it in a picture, we can always refer back to it, this transitions bridge. It's a normal process. I use it for all kinds of transitions, and I think it's no different talking about relationships today. And, and I love that. That's one of the reasons I think I wanted to talk to you was because, um, one, I think we needed verbiage. So that bridge analogy is beautiful or imagery is helpful. Because I, I think when we hit this unsettled, I don't know what I'm experiencing, like just putting language to it, putting vision to it, mm-hmm. images to it helps us like, you know, get something to hold on to. And then it lets us know that it's normal, right? That we're not abnormal, that there's not something, well, we might be abnormal, but <laughs> the point right. is this transitional stuff that we're experiencing, first, we've got to have language to know what we're experiencing. And then secondly, we've got to know it's normal and it actually happens. And then it happens again and it happens again. And I think I, I don't think I grew up knowing that. Like nobody told me, mm-hmm. I, I guess I thought I'd have lifelong friends. I thought I would like grow up and know exactly who I was and what I was going to do. And voila, it would stay there. <laughs> it hasn't. Right. It's been constant change. And I wish somebody had said to me, you will constantly go through change, Jackie. You will constantly mm-hmm. be transitioning, moving forward. Not, not every single day, but seasons of it. So. Right. So some terminology, but also I know that you've experienced a lot of transition. Um, and so I mm-hmm. thought, okay, what have you learned along the way in all of your study and all of your reading and all of your experience and all of your work? What have you learned about this? I think one of the main things, Jackie, and it's a, it's a quote from David Pollock, who does a lot of work on this, and he says, um, with every transition, there is loss, even if there's ultimate gain. And I, I think by this, I mean, we need to recognize with change comes an ending of something. And with an ending, there's loss. And with loss, we need to grieve. And I think that's the step so many of us want to avoid. We want to just move on to the next thing because it feels uncomfortable. And none of us like to be in pain. So we're trying to fix it as quickly yep. as we can. We sure do. But I, yeah, but I, I think if we just pause in the grief and say, gosh, I have lost, you know, something I've really worked hard at and something that I thought would last forever. So there's this almost disenchantment that happens. Um, and if we allow ourselves to go through those feelings and actually mourn our losses, so much easier to move on to the next step of, okay, well, now I can let it go. I've given it the attention that it deserves. But in order to move on, I need to let that go and move to the next step. So yeah, that would be the biggest thing I've learned is to grieve, name my losses, grieve my losses, but then be ready. And I think the empowerment comes when I realize it's my choice in how I respond. Like, how do I get to the next 
steps along the bridge? How do I move forward so that I'm not stuck in that chaos zone? So, well, we didn't, I'm, so what I hear you saying is pain. This is a painful process because yeah. there's loss that comes with it. And yeah. I think that's important for us to recognize. And I agree with you. I don't think Americans know how to grieve. We're taught not how to grieve. Mm-hmm. And and even Christians, like lament. I mean, right. when's the last time we've had lamentations taught in our church? You know? <laughs> we, we, we don't address pain or loss. We just try mm-hmm. to move through it. And if you don't go through the, the, the steps on the bridge, you're not going to get to the other side. So... Um, mm-hmm. I, lo- I think that's an important thing to notice. Um, what do you think is, is, is that the hardest thing for people when they find themselves in a relational transition or what do you think? Like you said, you do, so we don't get stuck. What, what, what right. gets us stuck? What, what is the hardest movement for us along that bridge? I think it is getting stuck in that chaos zone and, you know, not knowing that we have the power to move out of it um, and feeling helpless almost like a victim of our circumstances sometimes so I think something that's been really helpful for me is something that William Bridges who has a book on transitions he calls it the four R's um, so my accent gets me down like an American so you know and if, if I'll, I'll say them they're to restore so we can either try and restore the friendships that we feel or the relationships that we feel have changed. We can replace them so we can decide to pursue new friendships that will take the place of the ones that we've lost. Um, We can redesign. So that really is rethinking friendship altogether. Like maybe the way I've done it in the past doesn't serve me in this season of life. So what can I do differently? Like I can't go to the playground and hang out at the slides and hope to bump into another mum. You know, I have to be intentional about how I redesign my friendships. Um, and then option four is to relinquish, which I don't think is really an option here because I think we'll, we'll get into this, like we're wired for social connection. And I think it's just something we can't say, oh, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, so we do have to really think the hardest thing is for people knowing sometimes a, how to deal with the loss and the pain and just to normalize that and say, it's, this isn't what you're feeling is what you should be feeling. Relationships are important to us. So it's hard when we lose them. So that's hard. And then the next thing is not getting stuck. So I think if we can remember, we, we have the power to restore, replace or redesign um, those things that we've lost. I love that. I remember one time a woman called me and she started talking to me about what, what she was going through. And she said, um, she starts describing that she'd been at this church for like 20 years and they changed churches. And then she mm-hmm. just kind of kept describing how she's feeling and what's happening. And I said, Oh, you're grieving. And she goes, well, I can't be grieving. Mm-hmm. Nobody's died. And I'm like, Oh, sweetie, there's been a thousand deaths. <laughs> but it, I right. think, I think we sometimes think grieving is associated with a physical death, but there's all kinds of grieving and all kinds of loss. And it helps us sometimes mm-hmm. to recognize uh, that what we're experiencing is loss, is a death of something, even though there hasn't been a physical death. So I think that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about what you said about redesigning. I think we probably have to do that throughout the different seasons of our lives. I mean, how I made friends before when my children were younger, you know, there was a subculture of mothering that kind of affords you mm-hmm. to bump into people in a more a more natural way. There was the subculture of church life that brought me into relationships and and now Steve and I, you know, um, we travel all the time, you know, our work 
mm-hmm. doesn't keep us um, rooted in a in a particular place anymore. And um, and so I've had to learn to say to myself, okay, now it means I'm going to have to decide to 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 put myself out there and go there quicker and be more vulnerable right. faster and all of those things because I don't have as much time as it takes normally to build those relationships. So I've had to change mm-hmm. how I design what I'm expecting. And, and even I'm thinking about what you said, like even I, I've come to a point where I used to think I was looking for this one or two persons that would know everything about me and would get all of me. And, mm-hmm. and somehow I got to the point where I was like, Oh no, I can't find that one or two person actually that's mm-hmm. only God and um, that I actually need to know, have people know parts of me and I know parts of them, you know, like particularly my theological yeah. bent, I haven't been able to very rarely put myself in environments where women think like my brain thinks, you know, so that mm-hmm. part of me has been unknown for a long time. Um, so yeah, so I love that idea of redesigning. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you mentioned, you know, I'm back to this, we were made to be known you said we, right. we can't relinquish. I think some people do. And what happens is they get sick. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen mm-hmm. when we isolate. Right. And we've seen that. Um, you've, you've this, this need to be known. You've lived in three different countries. Uh, you've had three different cultures you're navigating. So when I'm sharing like, Hey, my theological mind hasn't always been, I couldn't find a place to set it with other women. I suspect uh-huh. so much more for you, uh, having gone through all these cross-cultural changes. So, mm-hmm. um, can you share a time when you were unknown because of this transition, this relational, actually it was, you know, cause of countries and cultures and, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. share a little bit about that. And how do you help others navigate this painful experience of unknownness during these relational transitions? Right. I think, you know, one of the most painful experiences that I remember was, I don't know if I had mentioned it earlier, but I'm actually a physical therapist by trade. So I qualified in South Africa and worked in some of the top hospitals in London. But when we moved to America, you know, my qualification wasn't recognized and suddenly I had to go back to college and, you know, make my transcript look like it was American. And I suddenly, you know, I was pregnant with our third daughter and I thought gosh no one knows that I've done all this stuff like I've worked hard I've you know done research of and suddenly I was just a mom so my identity was almost taken away from yeah. me so even yeah. these new friends that I met I, I couldn't it didn't feel right to say well you need to know I've done this and this and this and <laughs> I'm a badass because you know that <laughs> right yeah you need to know that because it didn't matter anymore so there was a part of me that felt so unknown like no one will really ever know this part of my life and it's this coming to terms with that and going gosh that actually doesn't define me I have to now present myself in a way you know that none of that really matters and this is this is me in America now and you know there's been one or two friends that have been curious enough to ask hey what did you do before you came here and um that makes me feel known and it's just a gift when someone has the time to listen to you know what your previous life almost included and so that's not even on a on a cultural thing there's so many things you know just driving on the other side of the road and um 
different words for different things. Like there's often I'll be, you know, say something and my kids are like, mom, what are you talking about? I'm like, gosh, you don't even know what I'm <laughs> talking about. You know, this is how I call it. You know, this is what we're doing. Put your things in the bin, not the trash can. Um, so it's just a constant awareness of how different I am, you know, sometimes right. and the places in which I'm not known. Yeah. yeah. So um, what do you, how do you help somebody with that? How do you, have you even worked yourself through that? Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard. I I think the thing for me that I have to keep coming back to and, you know, I don't want it to sound glib because it has to be something I hang my hook on is that I have to remind myself that we have a God who sees, you know, and I think of the story with Hagar and Alroy and, she says, you know, I have a God who sees me. I don't need to explain to anyone where I've been, what I've been through, if he sees me. And I think, you know, when I have got a client who I can see, because emotional pain is as painful as physical pain. The That's same right. circuits That's in right. our brain are actually triggered. You know, just to be with her in that moment and say, I I see you and I know that our God sees you too. You know, and I just think that is the comfort that we can't get from anyone else. Like you say, we can't get it from one person or one friend. It's a, um, we need different things from different people. And this is the one thing I need from God. I need him to say, I see you. Um, And know you. And I know know you, right. And like you, because, because we can almost think, Oh, God knows us. And then we think, Oh, all the dark parts he knows. And I'm, I'm here to say, yeah. And he likes that too. Like he's in, he's all in. I remember when the pandemic first happened, I have three children, 32, 30 and 29. And so they were a couple Hmm. years younger, but they, so again, they're adult children. Right. And they came to Steve and I, and they said, we need you to just stop all of your social life, like just stay home, you know, which I'm a massive extrovert. So it was like, are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> but they were really fearful. And I watched them that first month as everybody was right. Cause we didn't know, but uh, they were really fearful of, of losing a, of losing us. And, and first of all, we, I kept mm-hmm. saying to them, we're only in our fifties, we're not in our eighties. Um, but also just, I, I, I finally realized, Oh, I need to say to my children, and this is what I said to them. I said, I need you to know this. And again, I, I feel a little bit like you, Carol. And like, once I say this, people are going to go, oh, that's so gaudy. And I don't mean it that way. I really mean it experientially. I said to them, look, I need you to know this. If I get sick and I go to the hospital and you mm-hmm. can't come and I'm about to die and you can't come, I do not want you to be in your house thinking I'm alone because mm-hmm. I'm not. And I want you to know uh, that like I know mm-hmm. that like I know that. And I wanted them to have peace. If for some reason I got put on a ventilator and didn't come home, I know that would wreck them, but I want them to know I wasn't wrecked. And I know this, Mm. right? Because God is with me at all times. And I'm learning more and more through the Franciscan tradition that this God that is with me is loving and all knowing of me and loves all of me, which is really comforting. I do want to say though also, if we look at the garden story, we are with God, but we are also with each other. I think one of the ways that God intended for us to experience him is by being with others, right, in community. So yes. I don't want to make it sound like we just need God. I'm not saying No. That. <laughs> yeah. I'm and that's, we that's need why I said, 
Right. And that's why I said, you know, sitting with someone, it's something, it's a skill we can all develop more of. It's just that empathy is sitting with someone in their pain, in their grief, as uncomfortable as that is, and not having to fix it or solve it or change it and just going, I get it, you know, I'm, or not even I get it, but I'm with I'm you. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Right. So we need both. I'm with you 100%. Yeah. So I want to switch it just a little bit here. I, I want to share a little bit of a story mm-hmm. and then move us into like, how do we get back out there? Because I remember a, a time in Steve and I's life when literally 98% of our social life, our community just went into a sinkhole overnight, like poof, gone. Mm. And so we had to restart everything all over again. And I, we went to a new church and which I, I just like would go through the the motions, you know, but I'd be there. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to put myself back out there and make all new relationships. And this was like 15 years ago. So it wasn't that long ago. Um, and so what I did was, and y'all will laugh a little at this, but um, it was communion. And it was one of those, it, mm-hmm. it was in an Anglican church. So you have to get up and walk, you know, down the aisle and get blessed by the pre- the pastor and take the, the elements and so I started looking at all the women's shoes as they were passing down the <laughs> aisle. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. thought, oh, I like her shoes. I bet I can be friends with her. And then I pick another woman's shoes and go, oh, <laughs> I like those shoes. I bet I can be friends with her. And then I literally went up to those women after the service. I introduced myself and said, I need some new friends. I have a lake house. I can cook really well, and I'll bring the wine. And they all came. <laughs> Oh, that's great. And you like those shoes. I like your shoes. I think we're going to get along. And this is where everybody says to me, well, what kind of shoes were they? And I'm like, I'm not telling you. Um, so, but, but what I, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> but I also know I'm an eight and I'm an extrovert. And the introverts out there listening to this are going, there's not a chance in hell I would do that, Jackie. Um, but mm-hmm. the the point I want to make is part of this rebuilding our social circles is choosing to mm-hmm. physically put ourselves back out there again. So how, how do you help people do that? How do they, how do you nudge them along that part of the bridge? Right. And I mean, I'm an introvert, Jackie, and I'm a born Enneagram. So it's difficult for me. It's not as easy to put myself out there, but I've had to. And I think it's where I would say to people, you have to know that you are going to have to initiate 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 it's not going to come to you um and our family actually even has our word for 2023 is engaged because I feel like we've all been in a sort of a funk since the pandemic just letting everything happen to us and I'm like okay but it's time it's time now to put ourselves back out there engage in our community engage in friendships re-engage in church wherever it is that we feel like we we haven't been and then with my clients, I have something that I call the four P's. We had the four R's and that's four <laughs> P's, but it's just helpful sometimes. We're like, what did she say again? And these are, you know, purpose. Like trying to remember, why am I doing this? Why, you know, because when you get tired, you really just don't feel like doing anything. But you, you have to remember, what is the purpose for me picking up the phone and calling a friend again? Well, it's because I need social connection I can't live without it it's not good for me it's not good for my health so remember the purpose and then make a picture we forget how powerful our brains are so just even visualizing what you want a friendship to look like you know project to the future and see yourself sitting with 
two or three close friends with a glass of wine at a lake house. That sounds like a good picture <laughs> to me. Um, and then make a plan. Like we can't just hope things are going to change or, you know, you literally have to say, who are those two or three friends and what am I going to do today that's going to lead me to what I want in a few years time? And that is make a phone call, go for a walk around the lake, do the next thing to so make a plan. And then the last P is path. And I really think um, that was just to make it rhyme. But it's like, what is my role in this? Like, what is my part to play in making new relationships? And I, find, I think once we realize it's a lot up to us, um, it gives us that, it should give us that sense of power. Like, I can change this. I don't have to be a victim to my circumstance again. I can, again, change what I, what I to get what I need, really. I love that. I love the word initiate because um, Steve and I are great initiators socially, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we did, we have seen over the past 35 years that we've been together, like we constantly invite people over for dinner. We constantly initiate these fun events to do and blah, blah, blah. And other people don't reciprocate. They don't, I mean, they come, Mm -hmm. they come to everything where, you know, they, they have fun with us, but we rarely get invited out. Um, Mm -hmm. Here's what's interesting. You can, I had to make a decision and I've had this conversation with my children because they notice the same thing with their friends. They're constantly initiating and their friends aren't reciprocating the initiation back in the sense of, well, let me have you over. Let's go do, I had to get over that and just say, "Mm, we're not keeping track of who's doing what right now. Not keeping score. I am going, Mm -hmm. I have the capacity to initiate. Therefore I will period. Mm -hmm. That's it. You're right, because it's a slippery slope. I know exactly what you mean. And I think when you are the initiator, it can very easily be turned into, you know, this live on the enemy that you hear like, gosh, nobody really wants you. What are you doing? You know, you can start, you stop doing it. And it's like, no, I have to initiate whether someone reciprocates or not. And I think that is a very harsh <laughs> reality, but a good one to realize. Right. Just um, initiate if you just can. Keep and doing keep it. Keep doing it. Right. And stop just keeping keep score. Doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Assume right. the best. Assume Absolutely. the best. It's like a marriage. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Marriages are friendships, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I shared with you that um, I had to make a decision how, how to redesign my friendships uh, earlier um, mm-hmm. on now that Steve and I travel a lot. It can't, like, I know it takes 200 hours to over four months to develop a, 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 um, a, a friendship, a deeper friendship. It takes 60 hours for a casual friend. I don't always have that time anymore in the sense of um, I'm not in right. one space anymore. So I'm, I, mm-hmm. I have had to literally tell myself, okay, you're going to have to open up yourself and trust and be more discerning mm-hmm. and initiate more than you ever have. You're going to have to do more of it faster, harder, And part of that is being vulnerable, like putting myself out there Mm -hmm. and saying things that maybe I wouldn't say. Now, mind you, I'm not saying we should say them the first day or whatever, but being more Mm -hmm. open about who I am and what I need and putting myself Mm -hmm. out there, even saying to my friends, here's the kind of friendship I need. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a woman one time that we started running together and then she wanted me to go shopping with her all the time. And she wanted to stop over during the day when my kids came home from school and talk. And I was like, time out. I, I can't have yeah. all that, right? Like, here's what I have. Here's the amount of time and space and energy I can give to this. And we were just really honest about mm-hmm. it. It was helpful. Anyway, point is, what part of vulnerability do you think plays into um, this 
ability to navigate that bridge? Like, is that a part of walking through the bridge as being vulnerable? I think at some point it has to be. I think when you are so low in that chaos phase and, you know, very introspective and, you know, you have to, at some point when you realize I have to do something about this, I think vulnerability is something that really almost helps you skip a step on the bridge, if I can put it that way, because it, it, it helps the other person trust you because you are putting yourself at emotional risk, you know, so you're giving something of yourself more than you would normally. And what it does is it almost um, derails the other person goes, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, if you can say that, then I can say this. And it, it almost speeds up the connection that we, we can have. And, you know, I remember coming to America with two small children and I had nobody. I knew no one. And I knew that at some point I was going to need people. And so what I did, because I'm not as extroverted as you, was I first offered a lot. I was like, I'll take your kids home from the playground. You know, playground. Why don't I carpool? Why don't I take them to get ice creams while you get your hair cut? And people were like, whoa, what is it? What do you, you know? And I was like, you know what? (laughs) Yeah, what do you want from me kind of thing? But I was like, I have to offer while I can because there's going to be a time when I need you and I don't have family to fall back on and I don't have, you know, someone who can watch the kids while I'm at a doctor's appointment. And if you'll let me bless you in this way, like it'll it'll bless me in the long run. So, um, and just being open about that and that I needed help and that I would need help, but not in a needy sort of way, like, you know, um, but in a way that I can reciprocate and let me reciprocate, even if you don't need me kind of thing. And I just found that people respond. People go, oh, wow, if she can tell me that she doesn't have all her life together, then it's okay if I tell her I don't have it all together. You know, there's so many circumstances I can think of where if you just let down your guard, the other person gets to do it too. And the groundwork is made for a faster, closer, more personal connection. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, though, that the, the flip side to vulnerability and why people don't do it is shame. And I think in this culture, particularly now that I've navigated three different cultures, I find the American individualism a really tough one to crack because it's almost as I can do this on my own and mm-hmm. I should look like I've got this all together and have the perfect marriage and the perfect kids. And, you know, I don't want to look like I need anything. So I will say it's been the hardest place for me to be vulnerable because I can sense there's this feeling of shame, you know, whereas in South Africa, for example, it's more uh, Ubuntu is what we call it. Like, I only am because you are. I can't be without you. And it just gives you almost this permission to let down your guard and say, hey, we need each other. And life is so much better when we do it together. And this is something I'm trying to bring to my community and to my friendships and say, hey, we can do this together. It doesn't have to be this, you know, brave that we've we've got it all together. So yeah, yeah that was I, just something. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> on behalf of <laughs> all of Americans. I'm sorry because I, no. I think I think this. You know, it's a it's a a yin and a yang, right? Like individualism is beautiful. It's actually what we say contributes to innovation, et cetera, et cetera. The backside or the mm-hmm. flip side to that is actually we're not individuals. We're in interdependent humans. 
if you actually yes, believe the I can creation agree with story, that. right? And somehow the idea of saying to each other that we need to be interdependent, not codependent, not dependent, mm-hmm. not independent, but interdependent is actually mm-hmm. the way God made us. But we are, our American framework that we've been taught is you're exactly right to be rugged, the Marlboro man, go it alone, pull up your bootstraps. You don't need anybody. And the truth mm-hmm. is that's not true. It's so unhealthy. Um, right. Yeah. So we, I think we, I remember one time we were going to go to Africa to teach in Rwanda and you know, the question back here in the church was, well, what are we going to teach those women in Rwanda? And somebody said, let's teach them about community. And I went, um, yeah, no, I think <laughs> when we get over there, <laughs> they're going to teach that. us about community, you know? So I totally get right. that. Yeah. So, it, you mm-hmm. know, um, one of the things. But I like that. I like an interdependent society because that is what we are. Yeah. Like we need everyone from, you know, someone packing the groceries to the male, you know, mailman. And the, it's just something we have to recognize is necessary and it takes away that need to show that we've got to doing it all on our own, yeah. you know. We, we can't do it all alone. And this is one of the reasons mm-hmm. that women in America who mother, who have children that at home who mother, are dying on the vine. It's because we actually yeah. weren't supposed to sub- take care of children alone. We were supposed to do it in a community, mm-hmm. in a tribe, in a clan. And so, uh, we're, and, and then we isolate ourselves in how we live, right? We live in our own individual spaces with our fences right. and, you know, you, you, you have to go through a fence, then you go through your garage door and now you don't even have to get out of your car to open the garage door and say hello to the neighbor, you, <laughs> right. button, you know, so we can isolate, <laughs> mm-hmm. we isolate even societally and how mm-hmm. we structure our communities. It's fascinating, but all right, I'm going to shift us a little bit here to mm-hmm. the idea of, um, what I've learned throughout the years is that building friendships requires learning to ask good questions. And when I mm-hmm. read the scriptures, particularly Jesus and the gospels, he asked a lot of questions, right? Like someone would ask Jesus a question and he would answer it with a, with another question, um, which is mm-hmm. kind of annoying, but really what he was trying to do was get the person to go deeper and think broader and more depth to them. Right. So I was reading this article, by the way, I will post it on the Jackie Always Unplugged Facebook group, Um, but I was reading this article by Mike Frost, who um, it's called, Why Haven't You Asked Me Anything About Your Life Yet? And in the article, he says he and his wife invited this man over. They had this fabulous meal. They had a good conversation. It was stimulating. And when the man left, he and his wife looked at each other and realized that man knew absolutely nothing about them. He, na- he did not ask mm-hmm. them one question. And so it was an interesting evening, but an unknown evening, you know. Um, and he goes on to say uh, that uh, we need to, shouldn't there be some natural desire to ask people what makes them tick, what they like doing, who they like being? Mm. Um, and then he asks, he just bemoans appropriately, I think, just ask some people questions. Um, and you are such a good, I mean, you and I, I have love that. walked to the Ladybird Lake and, and spent some time together. You're mm-hmm. a really good question asker. Um, <laughs> so can you relate to what he's saying about the importance of this in helping us get across that bridge? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. I mean, for me, curiosity is a huge value. 
And because I'm always curious, I want to know what makes people tick and what they're thinking and why. And because it helps me understand why they make the decisions they make or the choices they make. Um, and I feel I learn and I grow and it challenges my worldview and why I do what I do and think what I think. So for me, it's just a missed opportunity when we don't ask questions. You know, we know about ourselves. So if we enter a conversation just wanting to give our opinion or tell people what we think, we're not learning and we're not opening ourselves to something that someone else, we could learn from someone else. So there's that. Um, but also, I think as a physical therapist was where I was really my training ground for learning because almost like a hairdresser, you know, as soon as I put my hands on someone's body to work with them, you know, out would come the story, yep. you know, of their life and what they were going through. And I only had to be there with them for a little while to realize, gosh, this back pain that I'm trying to work on is actually more about the emotional pain that they're going through. And just talking to me and letting me hear about the story is doing way more than what my hands are physically doing on their body, you know, and it just opened my eyes to see there's so much more going on under the surface, which is why I think Jesus asked the question, yes, you're telling me this, but what about this? What about and what this? about that? And I think it's, you're right, it's just a beautiful way to get into someone's heart and to meet them where they actually need to be met. So huge fan of questions. Yeah. Um, so tell mm -hmm. me, I know you and I talked about a little bit about this, that you tend to be a really good question asker and, um, mm -hmm. often, oh, well, oh, wait, I'm going to hold that question for you for a little bit later. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. I want to back up to Frost. Um, two things he says in this article, there's two tools that I think are really helpful. Um, he says, let's commit to showing a real interest in each other. And then he tells us, and mm -hmm. I think this is a great goal for all you listeners out there and myself too, um, make it our goal to never leave a social, a social situation without getting at least one new piece of information about every person you have a conversation with. Wish we had known that hmm. before New Year's Eve. That's a challenge. <laughs> right, exactly. And he's That's not saying great. hurry up and get to every person in the room. He's saying who you have a conversation with. See if you mm -hmm. can glean a new piece of information. But I like this too, because what tends to happen a lot, if you're a good question asker, -er -er -er, um, is that you end up asking all the questions and people don't tend to reciprocate by mm. asking questions back. And so he says, uh, the way you handle that when you're in the middle of a conversation is to say to the person, sorry, I've been dominating by asking all the questions. I suppose you've got lots of questions to ask about my life. And then pause. I love that. That's great. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about this idea of listening. I, you and I talked about how we ask a lot of questions and, you know, people don't always ask them back and those kinds of things. And then you don't feel mm -hmm. known and they feel known. And um, so I threw out to you earlier when you and I were talking uh, about this book called You're Not Listening, which I keep telling my husband yes. to read. <laughs> <laughs> He's not listening. <laughs> yeah, no, I got you. No, I, I've had mine out on the counter too, and no one's asked about it. So that's my kids not either. So there you go. <laughs> um, but this this book, by the way, for you listening, I'll put it on my Facebook page. But it's it's a phenomenal book, right up there with mm -hmm. Lieberman's book, Social. Um, but the author, Kate Murray Murphy, um, she says that brain science shows that when you listen and really get what another person is saying your brain waves and those of the speaker are literally in sync. Mm. 
So saying we have the same, we're on the same wavelength isn't just an expression. It's really happening in the brain. And then Murphy goes on to say that our desire to have our brains sink or to connect with another person is basic. It starts at birth. We are all waiting for it, she says, quote, unquote. It's how we find friends, create partnerships, and advance ideas, and fall in love. This idea of listening and really listening. So what do you think about that? (laughs) I love it because it's true. I've experienced it. Um, It's almost like this relational high, and I can understand why we crave more of it and I know I seek it out in conversations um, and through questioning and when I feel like gosh someone is thinking with me now that I have the language for it it's so exciting and I could carry on talking all night you know or whatever it is and it doesn't always happen so I think when it does it can be a birthplace for ideas and creativity and collaboration but also it can, it's a place for empathy because it's like, gosh, you get what I'm saying and that makes me feel known and that makes me feel loved. And so even that connection you make with feeling loved is very powerful. Um, it makes me also think, you know, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to neuroscience, but those mirror neurons that are um, sparked when we see someone that's delighted to see us, you know, we're all delighted too. So that is happening on a cellular level and I just think that's fascinating honestly. fascinating again science and scripture lining mm-hmm. up I love it there you go I, you're right so I um this is something I'm really giving a lot more thought to in my later years and some of it is I have more mm-hmm. time because I don't have little children at home anymore I'm not running around with kids in high school so I have a little more space to be contemplative to really slow mm-hmm. down um and be intentional. And one of the intentional practices I want to develop more of in 2023 is this idea of listening well. And as I read Mm -hmm. Murphy's book, I discovered it's actually not an easy thing to do. Uh, And that's why we don't do it so well. But, um, and now we've added cell phones and social media and computers. And so we can scroll. And I don't know if you guys do this out there, but you know, Steve and I'll be in the same room having coffee and we can't even go 40 minutes without picking up our phone and at least scrolling it once or twice. And we'll have to say, I'll be talking, Steve scrolling and I'll say, and vice versa. It's not just one way. And, and, and I'll say, Hey, I'm trying to tell you something. He's like, and he's half listening, you know, not really actively Mm -hmm. listening and vice versa. I'm doing the same thing to him. Um, and Murphy explains why that's so hard to really tune in. And I, I, I think our listeners will find this fascinating and helpful Um, She says that the average person talks at around 120 to 150 words per minute, which Mm -hmm. takes up a tiny fraction of our mental bandwidth powered by some 86 billion brain cells. So we wander Mm -hmm. in our excess cognitive capacity, she says, thinking about a multitude of other things uh, rather than uh, thinking about what the speaker, focusing on what the speaker is actually saying. Um, And this is, we also tend to like prepare how we're going to respond quicker, right? Like we'll use up some of that brain energy. Like as soon as that person gets done talking, I'm going to answer this back instead of actually stopping ourselves from wandering and doubling down Mm -hmm. and saying, I'm going to intentionally focus here, which by the way, takes energy to do, right? Right. I'm going to double down and I'm going to listen and listening inquires being, being curious 
understanding and discerning what someone is saying to you. Which Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love this because Jesus says all over the place in the Gospels, for those who have ears to hear. And I've always chuckled at that statement because everybody in front of Jesus literally had physical ears, right? So what was he saying? He's talking to us. He's saying, for those of you who have ears to hear, he's he's calling us to something like focusing, understanding, being curious, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of of focusing in on what someone is saying. So um, (laughs) I want to challenge our listeners to try this, to try to actively listen, because this is part of how you develop and rebuild your social circles. You know, you ask questions and you listen. Just try it for one day with one person to stay focused. You might even just be able to do it for an evening, but I I challenge Mm -hmm. you to try it. See how it impacts relationships. What what do you think about that, Carol? What what would you add to that? (laughs) You know, I think so many things, and I, it's something I actually challenged my daughter who's having, who's struggling with some social connections. I said, you know what, you don't have to have all the answers. I challenge you to just go and listen, and someone will love to tell you their story. And just as a kickstart, just to train them, like listening is usually the skill that helps with the art of conversation. I feel like we've lost the art of conversation, honestly. Yes. Um and then the other thing that I thought was as a coach, I really believe that we all have the answers to our, you know, relational difficulties, um, whatever it is within us. And all it really takes is someone, an extra pair of ears listening to us talk about it for us to actually hear ourselves talk and say, gosh, I actually do know what to do about it. I realize I'm being selfish here. These are the things I can change. And it's, that's what we need to be for each other is that sort of friend that listens not to give advice, not to fix it, not to solve it, but to almost reflect back to the speaker that they can hear themselves. So there's this this big dynamic going on in my brain is all over the place right now. But I do think active listening is something we can practice and I'm I'm up for the challenge for sure. Me too, me too. You know, you just reminded me of something that I've been repeatedly hearing. Remember I talked about how I see themes all the time. And the, the one is that the Quakers have this, old practice called a clearness committee, a clearness committee. And what they do is if you have a dilemma, right, you have something because they believe like the Franciscan sisters that we have the answer within us. It's just what you're saying, having it reflected and how, and what they do is they get together like five people or seven people. You come, you present like very quickly your dilemma. And then they just ask you questions, no advice, no answers, They just keep asking you the questions to help you get the clarity that's already in you. It's clearness committee. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, mm-hmm. where has that been all of my life? <laughs> right. No, but that's the thing. It's, it's like, I feel like everyone is needing a counselor or a coach or, a, and I'm, I'm not complaining because it, it keeps, keeps me busy, but I think we can be it for each other. And yes. I think good friends can be that sounding board. Well, that listening board is actually what we're, we're looking listening for. Listening board and yeah. learning how to ask really good questions. Good questions. Good questions, mm-hmm. which next week uh, I'm going to do an episode with my husband, and we're going to talk about a time when we um, found ourselves having to rebuild our social circles and how we actually put some tools in place to do that, which we're going to share. And then, like, we're going to share some of the questions because we literally have captured them. I think we have over 100 questions that we use to kind of help stimulate 
uh, rebuilding relationships. And so we're going to pass some of those mm-hmm. along. And there's things that you can get out there. There's conversation cards and all those. There's ways that we can learn to develop listening and asking good questions so that people that we love can actually come to clarity from what's already within them. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, okay, let's see. I want to follow one last thing, uh, this idea of, you know, we've got we've to put ourselves back out there. We've got to be vulnerable. We've got to choose to ask questions. We've got to ask people to ask questions of us. We've got to be good listeners, mm-hmm. right? Um, one of the things I think about a lot when I think about Jesus, because I'm one of these people that when I read the Gospels, I actually start picturing Jesus wandering around. And I, you know, I've been to Israel, so I can kind of see the land. And um, I follow him like he's in a movie, and I'm kind of tracking with the movie. And mm-hmm. I have often wondered mm-hmm. what it must have been like to walk with him and just chitter-chatter. And I think about his followers, which included women, by the way. So if right now you listeners have only 12 men in your mind, no, no, no. We're going to expand. <laughs> Luke mm-hmm. 8 tells us the women were traveling too. And so anyway, um, I think about like them lingering over, you know, meals because they had meals that took a long time, right? Or sitting underneath those olive trees and looking up at the stars. And, and, and it makes me think about how much time they hung out together. And Michael Frost mm-hmm. says that friendships are often forged in conversations that occur when we're playing together. Just hanging out, attending parties, camping, hiking, picnicking, goofing off. These are the occasions where people let their guard down and share more deeply. Um, do you find that to be true in your coaching, your own personal life? Absolutely. You know, I when, when you were talking I was picturing it and I thought gosh a fireplace for me like there's nothing better than being in the African bush sitting around a fire after a long day of playing together you know outside and just you know what will come up around that fire is just the most meaningful conversation some of the most meaningful I've ever been a part of Um, but in the same breath like I, I thought of one of my coaching clients who asked can we go paddle boarding every time we have our session? And I'm like, that's fantastic. Like we're having fun together, but we're talking because we're busy doing something. And it's not just this, you know, focused time on trying to solve problems or figure out the next steps. It's just, we're doing life together. And I think, you know, I've seen it in work and I've seen it in my own life. It's the people we have, we spend time with, you know, time with traveling, time with experiencing things, going through hard things. Um, raising babies together those are seasons of our lives or things that we're doing so yes I'm a huge advocate for for playing together and spending time together yeah so so if you're in if you're listening and you're in that space where you're having to rebuild your social circles initiate 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 play get out there and initiate play Play. join some Mm -hmm. groups running groups whatever it takes um Mm -hmm. you and I have walked around Ladybird Lake several times and had some really good conversations around this this whole mm-hmm. idea of relational transitions we've both had them and um we we've, we've shared that there's pain involved you know you know right mm-hmm. and and we both know as um everybody else actually probably their experience says the same thing we have to move through them we can't just get stuck mm-hmm. what a note of encouragement would you like to leave our listeners with? Because we don't want to leave with pain and grief and keep trudging <laughs> right. forward. We want to leave on a better yeah. note than that. Hmm. Let me think. Um, 
I think maybe where we started just with the transition bridge, you know, keep that in mind, knowing that we're going through several transitions, sometimes all at once, not only with our relationships, but with our bodies and with, um, you know, global transitions that are going on. Um, so think of the bridge and remember that you've crossed it before, just like you've done hard things before. I just think relational transitions are no different. Um, and it's okay if you're grieving what was. And it's also okay if you're stuck in the middle in that chaos bubble, thinking that you don't have the energy to do this again. Um, but I want you to remember that the other side of the bridge is there and you just need to be putting one foot in front of the other. Um, you're not alone in it. Other people are needing the same thing as you need. Yep. You're not too needy or needing too much. Um, and just remember that the reward of knowing and being known is so great and so worth it. Um, and yeah, you're, we're in this together. That's yep. what I would say. You're not alone. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for giving your time and your mind. I love your mind. I love time too, but you have such, <laughs> a, you, good, you have such a good thinker. Um, Carolyn, if somebody wants to find you, where do they go? They can find me on my website, website navigatetransitions.com. Navigatetransitions.com. Um, .com. That's right. That's the best place. And I have a blog there too where I'm occasionally writing what's going on in this mind of mine. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see you there. <laughs> Which I know what's in her mind. You want to listen to it. It's really interesting. So thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, and Jackie. I want to remind all of you that next episode, Steve and I will be chatting and we'll be sharing some really great questions. And so I want to leave us with this. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.